Well, hello, my friends, and thank you for listening to the Hope for Your Heart broadcast. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church, and this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. We would welcome your support. If this has been a blessing to you, uh, you are welcome to support this broadcast, and the church is paying all the broadcasting fees and the cost to put this broadcast together for you. And if you'd like to be part of this ministry, uh, we certainly would welcome your contribution. You can send a check to Hickory Ridge Community Church. The address is 33 20 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Or you can also give online to this broadcast to uh, www.hrcc7.org and just hit the giving tab and then you can go ahead and give to the broadcast. Just put it on a memo line that is for uh, the broadcast and then the, the money that we receive for that will go directly toward the cost of putting this on the air. I do appreciate you listening today and uh, this is kind of part two of the subject of joy. Uh, we talked about the early church and the early church was not a boring place to be and we think about joy Joy is not boring. Now, you can become a boring person when you lose your joy, but when you're filled with joy, I I tell you what, there is nothing that will bore you, okay? But when we think about joy, when I develop a critical spirit, when I'm not serving, when I let my guard down, when I'm not praying enough, you know, the enemy will try to cause me to get discouraged and and, uh, and he'll get me to take my eyes away from Jesus and and then he'll get me looking in the wrong direction. Now, the the more disturbing things become, the more I need the joy of the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, as we're going to be looking today, it says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been kind and worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Christ. So day after day, they went into the temple courts and they went from house to house and they never stopped teaching, never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So I want to. Remove from your thinking this thought that things have got to go well for me to have joy. Uh, you know, that's what causes happiness is based upon my happenstance. Uh, you would think that the most joyful people in the world are the people that have the least amount of suffering, the most amount of money, the most success, the least problems. You would think those are the people that are the happiest in the world. But I want you to know that the absence of problems does not produce an increase of joy. Sometimes the most miserable people are the people that have been the most blessed. I did a study, and, and I was really moved by this study about who are the happiest people on the planet. They discovered that children with Down syndrome are the happiest people on the planet. Now, this is really some good news. Uh, because if you have a special needs child in your home or you know somebody that has a special needs uh, child, you may think that their lives are, are filled with sorrow and dismay and, and stress and they're constantly being overwhelmed. Although I'm not diminishing that. Oh, they have those moments. Uh, I can attest to that because uh, we are blessed with a special needs child. I can attest to you that some days are extremely difficult. But you know, there's an inner joy that you receive when you realize that God is the source of my joy. You see, joy can be greater than anything or everything in your life that's going wrong. You know, in the first 300 years of Christianity, there were 10 systematic persecutions of the early church. In fact, for 100 of the first 300 years of church, Christianity was illegal. Persecution was very much a part of Christianity. It is one of the reasons why the church grew. One of the early church fathers wrote, The blood of Christians is seed, and the more you kill us, the more we grow. When I think about that, that kind of 
goes contrary to our way of thinking, doesn't it? You know, when you think about danger and you think about one of the people that face danger and opposition and 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 how they go through a hard time and and you think about those who win the congressional medal of honor uh, those are ones that decide to be going against conventional wisdom going against the crowd and they spend their life in being a blessing to somebody else i want you to know you can have joy and it's greater than what is robbing you of your joy today so let's talk about that today what is greater than my joy? As I think about it, sometimes we look at life and we say, I would be joyful if something was removed. So I'm going to do this little study today and say that joy is greater than, and we're going to fill some things in, okay? So number one, we're going to say that joy is greater than hypocrisy. You ask people, why don't you go to church anymore? Well, the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, I want you to know joy is greater than the hypocrisy that you find in the church, right? And so let's look at Matthew, and uh, let's look at Acts, uh, and, and let's look at what Peter says, right? Peter says to Ananias, after we discover a major hypocrite within the church, right? Ananias lies and says that he sold some property, and he's going to give the money to the church, and lies to the apostles, lies to the church, holds back some of the money. And Peter says, well, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled you and filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Also, we see here the church is just a matter of weeks old and there's a hypocrite in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. Well, obviously they got taken care of, but how is it that we could have such a hypocrite in the church? Now you think about that word church, it's a noun. And it's, it's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Uh, that's what the church is, right? We have these standards that we know that we cannot conform to. But the church is not just a noun. The church is a called out group of people. So that's why we say the church is not a showcase for the saints, but a hospital for sinners. Because the one thing everybody has in common in the church is that we're all sinners. Oh, yeah, we may be declared as saints, we may be declared righteous, but that doesn't mean there's no longer sin in the church. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He says, you hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, our hypocrisy is proof of our depravity, that we can't even line up with our own beliefs and our own standards of righteousness. As we look at that passage in Acts, the death of, of Ananias and his wife, Peter actually predicts that this is going to happen. Now, Peter didn't cause the death. He predicts it. What we see is an expression, and we see the judgment of the wrath of God. We see God stepping in to handle this issue of hypocrisy. When I think about how God has delivered us, how do I overcome hypocrisy in my own life? First, I deal with my own issues. You see, the more consumed we become with the hypocrisy of others, the more hypocritical we actually become. Refusing to forgive the hypocrite is an indication that I need forgiveness myself. I'm masking over my own shortcomings while attempting to unmask the shortcomings of others. That really is the greatest form of hypocrisy. That's why Jesus says, before you decide to deal with a sin in somebody else's life. 
make sure that you get that pole or that beam out of your own eye. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, it says that, and Paul is preaching, and he says, I don't want to preach to others. I don't want to disqualify myself for the prize. So what does he do? He says, I strike and I beat my body, and I make it a slave so that when I preach, I won't become disqualified. So Paul has the highest standard for himself. So we discover that joy is greater than hypocrisy. I want you to know you're always going to have hypocrites within the church. You can't get away from that. Here's the second thing that joy is greater than. Joy is greater than fear and complacency. I will go down and again in the book of Acts, and the apostles are performing many signs and many wonders among the people, and all the believers, they were meeting together in Solomon's uh, colonnade, and, and no one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. What happened? We discovered that they were fearful of joining the disciples, even though they claimed to be born again. They also became complacent because they looked at those who are highly regarded people within that culture, and they said, well, you know, we want their approval rather than God's approval. And so Paul gives young Timothy some really sound instruction. He says to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So Paul is saying, complacency is going to come. Fear is going to come. But don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Fix your hope on Christ. That is the foundation that we will rest our lives on. You see, it was the best of times, but it was the worst of times. It all depended on perspective. But in the signs and the wonders were being performed in their lives, and so that created the best of times, but they were going to go to prison and be beaten for their faith. That represented the worst of times. You see, our faith is stronger than fear and stronger than complacency. Paul said to the Hebrew believers, he says, you know, I got a whole lot of things that are hard to explain to you. And the reason it's hard to explain it to you is because you become complacent. You become dull in hearing. He says, you ought to be teachers, but you need somebody to teach you again. You need somebody to teach you the basic oracles of God. You need solid food, not milk. Can I share one of the frustrations of of being a pastor and and now being a, a pastor for a long time is the complacency I see in God's people. That that fear of responsibility, you know, fear of responsibility is a joy stealer. Fear to serve the Lord leads to a life of complacency. I'm afraid to do anything for the Lord because I'm afraid I might get burnt out or I'm, I'm afraid I don't have the time. I'm afraid it's going to cost me some things and, and I don't want to lose my family because I'm serving the Lord. All these other lies that we tell ourselves. Complacency. You see, this is not a new thing, but joy is greater than complacency. Paul says, you know, a lot of you guys have been around for a long time. (laughs) Man, you've been in the church forever, and you're still baby Christians. You should be teaching. You should be leading a small group. You should be teaching a Sunday school class, leading a Bible study. But you can't even decide to show up for a Bible study, never mind lead a Bible study. And so Paul says, you know, you ought to be teachers, but 
You need somebody to teach you the basic oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. In Luke chapter 12, it says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease and eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that the state of many believers today? Say, hey, you know, I got things going pretty good. You know, I'm not, I'm not extremely wealthy, but I can pay my bills and I got some money set aside from retirement and, you know, things are going pretty easy. So I think I'm going to take it easy, right? I'm going to kick back. In Luke chapter 12, we discovered there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you who you should be afraid of. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Oh, my friends, I want you to know that joy is greater than fear, greater than complacency. Joy is greater than hypocrisy that you may see. And Number three, joy is even greater than jealousy, the jealousy of others. We go down to verse number 17. It says, The high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. You're thinking, wow, man, these high priests and uh, all these people, the Sadducees, they've come in and now they're jealous of us. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about jealousy. Job says envy and jealousy can have some serious consequences. Scripture says that envy slays the simple-minded. Proverbs 14.30 says that envy and jealousy can cause a whole host of internal problems in our lives. Problems of stress. In 1 Corinthians 3.3, it says envy and jealousy are things that characterize the world. Peter said, and and God tells us through the apostle Peter that that we're to rid ourselves of envy. Paul also told the early believers, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. In the ESV version of the Bible, it translated this way, we don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. That's how we ought to be looking at our lives today. You know, there's an ancient legend, this ancient Greek legend that sets the stage in which we confront and we learn to tackle the joy stealer of jealousy. You see, it seems a young Greek athlete was running in a race and he placed second. In honor of the winner, the village placed a large statue and the athlete in the center of the town. As you can imagine, that second place runner was attacked by envy and jealousy. He struggled, and he struggled with that joy stealer to the point where he was making plans to destroy the statue. Every night, just after dark, he went out and he chipped away at the foundation of the statue, expecting it to fall on its own someday. One day, however, he chipped away a little bit too much. The statue weakened, and the base suddenly cracked, and it fell right on top of him, and he died under the crushing weight of the person he had to come to despise. Ah, but the truth is he died a long time before the statue fell on him. In reality, he chose to live with envy and jealousy, and it began to govern his life. He became a slave to the joy stealer 
of jealousy. Oh, let me tell you, jealousy can overcome you, but joy is even greater than jealousy. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength today. Well, there's something else we got to look at that is greater than our ability to lose our joy. Joy is greater than our guilt, that guilt of irresponsibility. We're not on to verse number 27. And it says that the apostles were brought in and they made an, an appear before the Sanhedrin and they were being questioned by the high priest. The high priest said, we gave you guys very strict orders not to teach in his name. And they said, you have filled Jerusalem with all of your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You know, it's amazing that they felt guilty and they were blaming the apostles for it. You know, at times people try to avoid personal responsibility and they usually go through the blame shifting, right? I mean, Adam tried to blame Eve for his sin and Cain tried to dodge responsibility and even Pilate in the New Testament tried to absolve his guilt in this matter of the crucifixion of Christ. And he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. I'm washing my hands of this. You know, ultimately, all attempts to pass the buck are futile. You may be sure that your sin will find you out. Each one of us has this personal responsibility to repent and to believe the good news, and then to glorify God with good works. You see, when Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. You know, there are two kinds of guilt in the Bible. There's this godly sorrow that leads a person to repentance. That's a good kind of guilt. We call that conviction. It actually comes from the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, John 16, 8 says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. You know, once a person repents, that guilt is lifted off him and he feels relieved and he feels joyful that his sins have been forgiven. There's another kind of guilt, and that's the guilt of condemnation. It's not conviction, it's being condemned. It's accusations from the enemy. You know, Satan loves to torment God's people, reminding them of their pasts and continuing to hold their sins before them even after their sins have been forgiven. This is condemnation. And there is no good that comes out of condemnation. It tears us up. It makes us feel dirty, unworthy, and it robs us of our faith and our confidence in Christ. It's a lie from the father of lies, and it needs to be ignored. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, there's one other point that I want to cover for you today. And I want you to know that we've covered a lot of ground in the broadcast today. We said that joy is greater than hypocrisy. Oh, the church is filled with hypocrites. That's true. But joy is greater. Joy is greater than the complacency and the fear that we may face from time to time. Joy is greater than our jealousy that we may feel from time to time toward others. Joy is greater than the guilt of irresponsibility. Joy, number five, is greater than the hostility of this world. You may feel like the world is coming against you. You may feel like, man, I'm out here and nobody is thinking like I'm thinking and nobody is living like I'm living. And you may feel like you're losing your joy. Verse 33 says, when they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. When I think about the hostility of our world that we're living in, the world is never going to be a friend of sinners. 
social hostilities and involving religion have soared worldwide. Nearly three out of four of the world's people living in countries with high levels of persecution. Did you realize that? There is a sharp increase in persecution. But that doesn't mean there's a decrease in joy. The latest global findings from the Pew Research, released not too long ago, shows that there are over 200 countries in which you could receive a harsh sentence by naming the name of Christ. Christians are being harassed in more countries now than any other religion on the planet. Countries where Christianity are illegal, numbers in over 200. Well, how do I keep my joy going when I'm living in the hostility of this world? Well, number one, I think you got to submit to God. In Acts 5.29, it says, Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. You know, there's something about submitting to God that creates joy to well up within us. We know that we are following our dear Savior, and although it may cost us dearly to follow Him, we have that joy that bubbles up within us. It's really a joy that is inexplicable. I have a friend who was persecuted for his faith, and he was put into a 12 by 12 cell with about 30 other believers who refused to denounce their faith. It was a miserable place to be. Uh, There was one little drain in the center of this cell, and that's where they had to put their excrements. There was one little pipe that came on the side of the wall, and water would slowly come into that little pipe, and that's where they received their water. He said it was so difficult that night when you were lying down, you were person to person. You were tied into each other, and you couldn't even roll over without waking everybody else up. When one person rolled over, everybody had to roll over. He said it was a terrible place to be, and he says, before I was in that place, I imagined that I would never have the ability to endure such a horrific existence. He said, I felt the crushing fear of costophobia, and he said, I felt the crushing fear that death was right around the corner for me. But he said, in the midst of all that, I had this strange sense of joy. He says, I didn't feel like I was going to be tempted to renounce the name of Christ. He says, joy was overwhelming within me. He says, it was almost like I was in that cell, but I was not in that cell. That joy had lifted me out of that circumstance, and I felt like I was in the presence of the Lord. You see, hostility cannot rob you of the joy of the Lord. Just submit to Him. Number two, serve the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, it says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching, never stop proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It was James Barr who said, those who bring sunshine into the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves. You see, when I serve others, I myself receive a blessing. You know, we may not be born to greatness, but in our own ways, we can achieve it. Not for recognition by others, simply by peace of mind that comes when we know we have done our best as minor contributions toward a much larger solution, in that we raise our joy and celebration of the expressions of love that we are. Everyone can be great because everyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to 
make a subject and a verb agree to serve, you only have to serve with a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, said Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, my friends, the joy of the Lord is our strength. As we submit to the Lord and as we serve Him by serving others, we experience a whole new level of joy, a joy that we could not have possibly imagined. Thank you so much for listening today. If I can help you with anything, would you give me a call? 757-421-7500. You can also listen to the messages on podcast. You can go to buzzsprout.com slash 1890557. You can listen to this broadcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, or Apple Podcast. You can reach out to me through phone or through email at onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. You can go to our church website, hrcc7.org. You can communicate with us through the website. You can come and worship with us on Sunday. Oh, I would love to see you this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1030. We meet at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Just come on out and enjoy the service. Come out, we'll get to meet you and spend some time with you. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. It's been my joy to talk to you today. I hope to hear from you. I hope that you join us tomorrow. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Again, the number is 757-421-7500. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.